0: Reading from Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was compact, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Thanks, Russell, for that reading. It's the Russell Yee translation, for those of you who've never heard that before. Let me, uh, let me take just a moment and pray for us. God, thank you that you are in this room. Thank you that you're present here. And some of us feel that and we sense that and it fills us with joy and with hope and with comfort. And for others of us, God, it just just does not seem like the reality this morning. It feels like you are a million miles away. Some of us are wondering, are you even there? Do you even exist? Do you care? Do you see Do you know? God, would you help all of us in this room this morning to believe that you do see and you do know and you do care and that you have good news for us, and I pray that you would make our hearts soft to what you would want to speak to us today. Uh, We need your voice. We need your spirit. We need your help. We need your gospel. And so come and meet us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Uh, my name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you are new, uh, we have been in a series, we're almost at the end of it, we've been in a sermon series called The Beautiful Life, and this is our eighth week in that series, we've been working our way through the fruit of the Spirit, and if you don't know what that is, Galatians 5, which is a book in the New Testament, says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness and self control. Now, these are the nine marks or the nine character traits that God wants to build into the life of any who would claim to know Him and follow Him. And so, we've been working our way through uh, these different uh, fruit of the Spirit. Today, we come to the fruit of gentleness. And uh, I think this is a really interesting one because if if I were to ask you to sit down this morning and make a list of the nine uh, marks, the nine character traits that you would want to see yourself grow into over the course of your life. My guess is that gentleness would probably not be one of them. Uh, gentles, gentleness is not, is not really admired today, it's not really esteemed today, nobody is pulling for a gentle sports team, or no employer is looking to hire a gentle employee. Um, uh, and part of the reason it's not admired is because it's so misunderstood, right? You hear gentleness and you think, well, so you think of somebody who's passive, somebody who's weak, somebody who's just a doormat and kind of lets people walk all over them, somebody who is lacking in strength or in power, and my hope today is to show you that gentleness is none of these things, and to convince you that gentleness is, might be what we need more than anything else this morning. What we need more uh, in 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 our relationships, in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world. Gentleness is really, really important. In fact, you might even say it's the most important of the fruit of the Spirit because I want you to consider this for just a moment. In the four gospel accounts that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books that are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and his teachings and his ministry and his miracles, there are 89 chapters in those four books. And of those 89 chapters, there is one place... In all of those 89 chapters, where Jesus opens up and he describes to us his very own heart. It's in Matthew 11, verse 28. It was actually part of our call to worship this morning, and Jesus says this He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Just think about that. In the only place where Jesus pulls back the curtain and tells us something about his very character, he does not say, I am powerful, which he is. He doesn't say, I'm loving, which he is. He doesn't say, I'm holy, which he is. He says, I am gentle. And I love the way that uh, Dane Ortland, who wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly, I would highly recommend it to you, he says this, he says, if we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is gentle. See, if gentleness was that important to Jesus, we, just, we, need to, it, we, we need to pause and ask the question this morning, why is it not more important to us, and what does this actually look like? And gentleness is all over the Bible, but I cannot think of a better passage, actually, for us to look at this morning than this one. Where Here's what we see. We see how Jesus deals gently with this man, which means that he deals gently with us, which means that we need to, be to deal, deal gently with, with other people. And what I want to do this morning is look at this, this text. Really, I want to ask three questions, okay? Why is gentleness lacking? Uh, why, 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 we, why we lack gentleness, why we need gentleness, and how we can get gentleness? So why we lack it, why we need it, and how we can get it. So first, why do we lack it? Um, we do not live in a gentle world and you don't have to be alive for very long to realize this. We we actually live in a world that is marked more by anger and outrage. Have you ever tried to find a parking space in a Trader Joe's parking lot? Okay, first of all, why do they always have the smallest parking lot? Second of all, that is the angriest place in this city is a Trader Joe's parking lot where people are fighting for parking spots. Uh, in 2014, Slate Magazine ran a series of essays that was entitled "The Year of Outrage." The Year of Outrage, and they actually kept a calendar. There was a digital calendar you could access online. It was called a, a "Rage a Day" calendar, where they kept record of something that we were mad about culturally for every single day that year. This is not a happy calendar. I would not recommend this calendar. Um, that was 2014. I mean, it has only gotten worse. Pick your topic, politics, sexuality, race, religion, um, economic disparity. Pick your topic. How do people treat those who disagree with them? Not with gentleness. We treat people with disdain and contempt. I saw a study actually this week, it was from Yale University, And it was a recent study they did, they were looking at the link between social media and anger. And here's what they discovered. They discovered that uh, posts that evoked emotions of rage and anger, they got the most likes and the most shares. And actually, here's what's even more kind of interesting, is that every social media platform understands this, and this is why your algorithm gets fed with things that make you mad that evoke feelings of rage and anger in you. See, anger is in, outrage sells, like hate has become a commodity, and we live in a moment where people tend to define themselves more by who and what they are against than who and what they are for. But here's the thing, this is not new. This is not new. This is just as present as Jesus' day as it is in ours, and we actually see it right here in this passage where we get this story of a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Now, tax collectors in the first century, they were Jewish people who worked for the Roman oppressors. They, they collected taxes from their own people, but they always collected over and above what they were supposed to collect and they kept the profits for themselves. And so therefore, literally, taxed, they were some of the most despised people in the first century. Which explains this, this little detail Uh, that the passage gives to us, um, that it says, in order to see Jesus, Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd and climbed a tree. And there's two reasons for this. One, Zacchaeus is compact. Russell Yee translation. Uh, He's short. Uh, But two, here's why he runs ahead from the crowd and he climbs the tree. It's because he's hated by the crowd. He can't be with the crowd. Zacchaeus is alone in this tree because he is alone in life. He I mean, he has been canceled, okay? And he is the object of everyone's anger and outrage. And then look at what the, the crowd says about, it says in verse 7, when Jesus says he's going to go to Zacchaeus's house to eat, they say he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, this is so telling. We do this all the time. We are just like this crowd. We're constantly dividing the world into people who are saints and people who are sinners. And just so we we typically find ourselves on the side of saints, that we all have some group in this world that we look at and we say, those people, those people. Let me tell you, I grew up in the South, which is, you can hear it in my voice. Been trying to get rid of that for 20 years, but it's it's not leaving me at this point. I grew up in the South. You know what everybody there thinks about you? <laughs> they think you were the problem. They think, ah, oh, those people. Literally, when I when I came out here uh, to be a pastor back in 2004, they said, "Oh, God bless you. You're going to rescue all those people. Those people." But here's the thing. How do you think about them? You know, everybody there thinks everybody here is the problem. Everybody here thinks everybody over there, over there, is the problem, Uh, and neither side is showing gentleness or compassion for the other. And okay, this is, and you can apply this across any sort of category. It's not just you know geographically, but across politics, across issues of race across issues of of economic disparity. And see, the question is, here's what I want to ask this morning, is why? Why has this lack of gentleness always been a thing? Why is our default to divide the world into us versus them, and good versus bad? And to answer that question, actually, we've got to go back even further than Luke 19. You have to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered into the world and humanity went from harmony with God and with one another to what? To anger and to outrage and to everybody blaming everybody else for being the problem. When God comes to Adam and he says, why did you eat from the food of the tree? Do you remember what Adam said? He said, the woman you put here with me. In other words, God, I'm not the problem, she's the problem, and actually, God, you're part of the problem because you put her here with me. (laughs) And you see, ever since, tell me if this doesn't explain you this morning, ever since, deep in the human heart, there has been this tendency to buoy our sense of self by looking down on others. In fact, the human heart, it is so insecure that it will take anything it can get its hands on and it will use it in order to feel better about ourselves. We'll take politics and say, well, at least I don't vote like that. We will take morality and say, at least I don't live like that. We'll take money and say, at least I don't spend it like that. And here's the most kind of perverse is we will even take religion and we will say, at least I don't believe like that. You see, here's the point. The reason we lack gentleness. The reason we are marked by anger and outrage is because of a self-righteousness that is born out of insecurity and the need to feel better about ourselves by finding some sort of Zacchaeus in our midst that enables us to divide the world between us and them, good and bad, saints and sinners. Now, that's, that's why we lack it. Why do we need it? Why do we need gentleness? And one of the most Striking things about this passage is the transformation that happens to Zacchaeus. Look at verse 8. It says that Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, maybe you've heard a sermon on this passage before, and this, this passage often gets talked about in terms of how following Jesus makes us generous. When you become a Christian, it changes your relationship with your money. No longer does your money have hold over you, but you have hold over it, which means you can become generous, just like Zacchaeus. But what I want to talk about this morning is not how following Jesus makes us generous, but what we see in this passage is how following Jesus makes us gentle. Gentle. I mean, Zacchaeus must have been such a hard man to get to where he had gotten in life. He had probably he had walked over so many people, including the poor, And including the vulnerable. But here in this text, he begins to soften. He goes from walking over the poor to caring about them. He goes from a disregard to people that he has cheated to a concern for them. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, he became gentle. And friends, if you were here this morning and you were a follower of Jesus, this ought to be at work in your life too. You ought to be growing in gentleness. See, the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we be discipled by the world, or will we be discipled by Jesus? Will we be discipled by our culture that says we ought to be filled with rage and anger and outrage, or will we, be, will we become like Christ, who calls us to be gentle? Now, I have never—this is the first sermon I've ever preached on gentleness— And so I've been thinking, if you're feeling convicted right now, well, welcome to my world. I've been living in this all week, okay? And I will tell you, I have been struck by how pervasive gentleness is in the Bible. It is all over the Scriptures. And what I want to do for just a moment is I want to go outside of our text, and I want to look at four verses on gentleness in the New Testament that tell us four reasons why we need gentleness. Here's the first First reason we need gentleness is we need it for our relationships to heal. Uh, Ephesians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love this image. Saying gentleness is like this jacket. Every morning you have to wake up and you put it on. And I just want you to imagine the healing that would come into your life, that would come into your relationships if you were more gentle, if you were more patient, if you were more kind, if you were more compassionate. Imagine the healing that would come to your friendships. Imagine the healing that would come to your family and to your marriage, and to your children. we, we need. He- One of the reasons so many of us have a track record of blown up relationships is because we have not been gentle. And what God is offering to us is a better way forward. God is saying, you don't have to keep living this way. In fact, if you do keep living this way, not only are you going to hurt other people, but you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to end up isolated and alone. Gentleness, I mean, lack of gentleness ruins relationships. Why do we need gentleness? We need it to heal our relationships. Here's the second reason we need it. We need it for our unity as a body. So Ephesians chapter 4 says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, in these verses in Ephesians, Paul is talking about unity in the church in the midst of great diversity. In fact, he's talking about it in the context of Jews and Gentiles being brought together as one. The dividing wall of hostility being torn Down. Paul is saying the only way for unity to be possible when you have diversity is gentleness. And this is so practical for us as a church. You know, we talk a lot as a church about diversity. This is one of our core values, actually, as a church. We want to be a church that reflects the diversity of our city, but even more, we want to be a church that reflects the diversity of the kingdom of God which is people from every tribe, color, tongue, and nation. And why are we doing this? Well, we're doing it because why do we long for this and aspire to this? It's because we actually believe we are missing out to the extent that we are not this. That if everybody comes from the same class or the same culture or has the same color skin, that we are actually missing out. And you see, diversity is a beautiful thing, but let me just say this it is also a very messy thing. It's a very hard thing. Because the more diverse we become, the more likely we are to misunderstand one another, to offend one another, to hurt one another, to say things in ways we wish we hadn't said to one another, the more likely we are to separate and divide from one another. How are we gonna maintain unity? gentleness, gentleness. We need to be a community that is marked by gentleness in the world where difference and disagreement lead to division in the church. It ought to lead to gentleness and grace and mercy. We need it for our unity as a body. Here's the third reason we need gentleness. We need it for our growth in Christ. So Galatians 6 says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now here's what this is saying. It's saying the church ought to be a community where we speak truth to one another, where we hold one another accountable, where we are honest with one another when we see destructive patterns and habits in one another's lives. And this is so countercultural. And actually, I want to make a quick plug here for why church membership matters. See, when you join a church, what you are saying is, I can't do this alone. I need other people in my life in order to grow spiritually. And I am giving this community permission to speak into my life. Now, have you ever been connected to a church in that way? See, you will not grow. You will not grow in Christ in the way that Galatians 6 1 is talking about if you're always just on the margins if you're always on the fringes, if all you're doing is kind of popping in and out but there's no real commitment and you don't have people in this community who are actually part of your life and you're opening up your life too and you're allowing them to speak into it. Now some of you in this room, you're saying truth, yes. Accountability, yes. I am all for it. But I want you to notice what this passage says. Can we go back to that real fast? It says that you should Store that person gently. It's it's like a spray nozzle on a water hose. You know how those nozzles have different settings? If you try to water flowers with the jet setting, you, you will kill your flowers. You've got to put it on the right setting. You need the right amount of water distributed in the right amount of way in order to bring life and growth the same is true for us. We need community to grow, but we need it in the right way. We need honesty and gentleness. We need accountability and kindness. We need truth and we need love. And some of us, we are really good at the truth part, but we are not good at the love part. When you're good at the truth part, but not the love part, people do not feel safe around you. Let me ask you a question. Do you have people... Who are opening up the dark sides of themselves to you? Do you have people who are confessing their flaws and their failures to you? If no one is ever doing that, it might be a sign that people do not see you as a gentle person. See, some of us are really good at the truth part. Others of us are really good at the love part, but we are not good at the truth part, and so we never confront. Wherever you are on that spectrum of truth and love, we all need to grow. We need to grow not just for our own sakes, but we need to grow for one another's sake, for one another's spiritual growth. Here's the fourth thing. Why do we need gentleness? We need it for our relationships to heal, for our unity as a body, for our growth in Christ and last. We need it for our witness in the world. And so Philippians 4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I want you to notice that word all. A lot of times in the New Testament, you will read verses that say things like, love one another, honor one another, forgive one another. That is talking about relationships within the church. But Paul does not say, let your gentleness be evident to one another here. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all which means not just people inside the church, but perhaps most especially to people who are outside the church. Because in a world that is filled with anger and outrage, gentleness is one of the most powerful displays of the gospel. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, uh, Pete Davidson, who's the comedian, uh, Kim Kardashian's former boyfriend also as well. Uh, you may know him as the comedian and uh, the Saturday Night Live cast member. Um, he, there was a moment on Saturday Night Live where he, he mocked Congressman Dan Crenshaw on TV. Now, Dan Crenshaw has an eye patch and a disability from his military service. He's also on the, the other side of the political aisle from, from Pete Davidson. And, uh, and so when, when Pete Davidson mocked him, there was pretty major backlash. And this, I mean, it went viral. Everybody was talking about it. And it was, it was so extreme that it actually sent Pete Davidson into a depression. And he wrote this in an Instagram post. He said, I really don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm doing my best to stay here for you, but I actually don't know how much longer I can last. And people kept waiting for Dan Crenshaw to come out and publicly just, you know, kind of lash into Pete Davidson, what they didn't realize was that he had actually already reached out to him privately. He called him and he said, listen, you need to know that, uh, that everyone has a purpose in this world and God put you here for a reason. And then a couple months later on Veterans Day, they, they appeared together face-to-face on Saturday Night Live to make amends. And uh, Dan Crenshaw began to praise Pete Davidson's father, who was a firefighter who died in 9-11. And at the very end of it, Pete Davidson thought the cameras had cut and they were off, off screen now, but they weren't. And what the cameras captured was Pete Davidson looking at Dan Crenshaw in this moment and he whispers to him, you are a good man. And everybody was talking about it. See, gentleness is a powerful thing for the world to see. When your non-believing friends look at you, do they see gentleness? When your neighbors look at you, do they see gentleness? When your coworkers look at you, do they see gentleness? When your enemies look at you, do they see gentleness? This is not easy. And so how are we gonna become these kinds of people? People who don't strike back when people strike at us people who do not have a sense of superiority towards those who are different from us or disagree with us or criticize us, people who are characterized by love and mercy and not anger and outrage. How do we become gentle people? This is the last point, last question. And the answer lies in our text today. And this is what I love about this passage is that the same thing that made Zacchaeus gentle is the same thing that is going to make you and I gentle. And I want to just look with you for just a moment at the gentleness of Jesus in this passage. There's too much to talk about. Very quickly, I want you to see a couple things. First, it says that Jesus, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up. That means that Jesus saw him. Okay, don't read too quickly past that. The person that everybody else wanted to pretend like was not there. The person that everybody else wanted to disregard. Some of you feel disregarded by somebody. You feel forgotten. You feel like nobody sees you, nobody notices you. The person that everybody else wanted to overlook, Jesus stops and he sees him. And then it says this, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What, What I want you to notice is the order of what's happening here. When Zacchaeus comes down from that tree, He is still a crook. Jesus does not say to him, Zacchaeus, I want you to clean your life up, and then I'm going to come home with you. No, he says, I'm coming home with you, and then Zacchaeus says, okay, I'm going to make some changes. See, Jesus initiates a relationship with Zacchaeus, not because he has gotten his life together, but in spite of the fact that he hasn't. And this, friends, is called grace. So many people have the opposite view of God. You think that what God says is, okay, you're a mess, fix yourself, clean yourself up, get things together, and then I'll love you. No, grace is where God says, I don't love you because you change. I love you despite the fact that you haven't. And once you understand this, my love can actually come into your life and be the engine of change. The change is not the cause of God's love in Zacchaeus' life. It is the result of God's love in his life. And the same is true for us. And then finally, look at this. Jesus says to him, this is the very last thing that Jesus says. He says, today salvation has come to to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The person that everybody else looked at and said, those people, Jesus looked at and he called him a son of Abraham. Let me put it to you this way. The one that everybody else called a sinner, Jesus called a son. Friends, that is the gentleness of Jesus. The gentleness of Jesus is that it turns sinners into sons And daughters. See, we are constantly trying to divide the world into categories of us and them, of good people and bad people, of saints and sinners. But the gospel tears all of those categories down. You know why? Because it says we are all in the same place, made in the image of God, but terribly broken and in desperate need of God's grace and we are all hopelessly stuck until Jesus looks up in the tree and calls us by name and tells us to hurry up and come down because he loves us and wants to be with us. And this is why Christianity has unique resources to create gentle people. Why? Well, Because it, it kills any sense of self-righteousness or superiority Because here's what it says. It says, you were so bad that Jesus had to die for you. And yet at the same time, it heals all of our insecurity that makes us want to compare ourselves to people because it says, you were so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. And that is what this table points us to. This table points us to the ultimate display of gentleness. See, in this passage... Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Hurry up and come down from that tree. Hurry up and come down from that tree. But several chapters later, Jesus is going to climb his own tree. And the crowds say to him, Hurry up, come down, save yourself. But he didn't come down, he stayed. He stayed. And when people mocked him, he did not retaliate. And when people hurled insults at him, he did not hurl insults back. And when they lashed him, he did not lash back. Instead, he prayed, Father, forgive them. He could have come down. He could have saved himself. But he stayed. Why did he stay? He stayed to save us. I love the way that one writer puts this. He says, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he did not think, I'm giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No, he was in agony, and he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him, and betraying him, and in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He loved us, not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely, to make us lovely and to make us gentle, See, to the degree that you see that Jesus loved you at your worst, you'll be able to love others at their worst. To the degree that you see Jesus forgives you all of your wrongs, you'll be able to forgive others when they wrong you. To the degree that you see Jesus is gentle with you, you will be gentle with others. Where do you need to see God's gentleness with you this morning? The gospel does not just say that he was gentle with you way back on the cross. It says that he is gentle with you every morning and every afternoon and every evening and every minute and every second of every day that God deals gently with you. No matter what your week has looked like. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, God invites you to this table every Sunday and he says, hurry up. Come down and eat with me. That's the invitation of this table. It is not for people who think that they've made all the right decisions and have it all, to right to get all together. It is for people who know that they are lost and broken and stuck without the gentleness of Jesus in their life, without a God who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he blessed it, saying, This cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The New Testament tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are gentle, a gentle God, a God who is full of grace, a God who is full of mercy. For some of us, that seems like the hardest thing to believe, that you could actually welcome us, that you would actually want to come home with us that you would actually invite yourself into our lives before we invite you into our lives. But God, this is what this table proclaims to us. It proclaims a gentle Savior. Would you help us to feast on him this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.